When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mutation. It is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Welcome to Fury's Finest, a podcast and resource devoted to the discussion of Marvel Crisis Protocol. My name is Jesse Aiken, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and good friend, Christopher Bruffett. How are you doing today, Chris? Well, Jesse, I can't complain today, maybe tomorrow, but not today. Excited to talk about a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff today. Yeah, we've got quite a bit to talk about, quite a bit to catch up on. We hope you guys really enjoyed last episode where we talked about how 2020 went for us, how 2020 went for the show and all of our aspirations and wants and just looking to 2021. We thought that'd be a fun way to start off the year and kind of get you guys in our headspace, you know, not only where we came from, what we did the past year, but what we want to do for you guys this year in 2021. And it's an exciting year, Chris, and there's already so much content out for MCP. It's kind of ridiculous. And we're just going to do what we can. You know, we have these wonderful, you know, aspirations and things we'd like to get done. And then Atomic Mass says, hold on a second. We're still creating content at an elite level. It's right. As you guys know, if you're subscribed to our show, we will get through every character. We will get through everything Atomic Mass has released. It's just sometimes we can't keep up with them. And that's okay because Chris and I's format is a little bit different from other podcasts in the MCP world and the other gaming world where they kind of just cover the news and, and the characters in a lump sum every week. We would rather give you guys these deep dives every time you know we do a character episode. And that's what we're going to give you. We're not forgetting about the Inhumans. They are coming. And I did mention Chris last episode. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to most this year is learning about the Inhumans, reading about them and playing them in MCP and just kind of getting a feel for these characters that truly are a blind spot for me in Marvel. We're going to have a lot of lore to catch up on. It's going to be fun. I'm excited for Karnak, man. I know they haven't announced him yet, but it's going to happen. There's no way it doesn't. These are all good things, Chris. And continuing with good things. Atomic Mass updated their affiliation list for the game. So this is something that they updated back when the X-Men came out and Chris and I went over it. And we're going to do it again today because there's been a couple changes. So if you guys want to follow along with us, you just go to Atomic Mass, go to their OP section of the website, and then click on affiliation list. So a couple notable changes before we get to the new affiliation. Asgard got Angela and Enchantress, which makes perfect sense because they just came out and they are both Asgardian. But Asgard now is a faction of six. Chris, what do you think about this? An already strong faction and they're getting stronger. I mean, it's it's great. I love seeing these factions expand with the characters that fit uh, in lore. Uh, right. I'm glad Atomic Mass is doing that. I've seen a lot of people, a lot of short-sighted people complaining online about faction lists and who's in what and who's not. Right. And you know, Atomic Mass is doing this in such a way that it is lore-friendly and balanced, and I see it, I appreciate it, and I want them to know. Couldn't have been said better than that, Chris, and I think 
what people need to keep in mind too is that this is a living document as we've seen thus far like asgard has grown quite a bit since the game's launch of the Asgard affiliation. So when people get really upset, when they see spider foes and maybe their particular spider foe is not on that list, I say, let's give them some time. This game is great and it's succeeding a lot right now and we want to succeed more. Let's give it some time because these things are living documents basically, which is really exciting. So Asgard's up to six now. Cabal continues to get bigger because Enchantress is also a Cabal member, which I thought was a really nice touch, Chris. Oh yeah, Enchantress, she's a bad girl. Girl, you know she is and she's very powerful so some other notable additions to super large affiliations already she hulk was added to the avengers you gotta love that it's classic perfect yeah and you know jennifer walters man i just love that character i can't wait for our episode chris also i will mention there hasn't really been any big recent changes in the spider foe factions but you know the spider foe faction does have all six characters that are announced on it now so that's green goblin carnage dr octopus kingpin mysterio and venom so it's just fully there they are a fleshed out faction when we get carnage and mysterio i think so i'm really really looking forward to that chris that will be my villain team probably forever so that's something i'm really excited about i'd say that team is exactly right up your alley i think so they are probably more of an aggro type team which is not always my play style but i do like when you can play aggro big elite characters and if you know you do it right you just remove activations from the other team i really like playing that in certain games sometimes so i think that could work for them we'll see where they go with carnage and mysterio i have no idea i just can't wait i'm trying not to think about them chris the less i think about them the sooner they'll be here i have thoughts but i won't torture you We've got to close out this affiliation list with the big announcement, which of course is She-Hulk's fully out in the wild now, and we wanted to see her entire affiliation. So we have the A-Force fully represented on here. I'm just going to go through every character because it's a lot. It's impressive. It's a quite interesting group of characters. So it's She-Hulk, Angela, Black Widow, Black Widow, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., so both Black Widows, Captain Marvel, Crystal, Domino, Gamora, Medusa, Okoye, Scarlet Witch, Shuri, Storm, Valkyrie, and the Wasp. What do you think about that, Chris? That's a very impressive lineup. What's interesting about this announcement of A-Force is a couple things. Of course, every member is a female superhero, which is amazing. Our first group of all female superheroes in the game, which we knew was coming, but now we see everyone on the list. Hardly any female characters missing from this list. I am very sad Gwen is missing from this list, but I'm sure there's a reason. But the biggest part of this, Chris, is A-Force went from not existing to existing and also matching the size of Avengers and Cabal. Well, there's lore precedent for the A-Force, and there's little precedent for these characters in A-Force. So it makes complete sense that the A-Force is going to come in with She-Hulk, and why complicate things by having this affiliation out there before She-Hulk's even released? Yeah. I'm just so impressed and shocked how big it is, I guess. Oh, it's, it's, it's an Avengers-like organization, and the great thing about this is that a-Force, it's been around in the comics, but it hasn't been explored to a great degree. And so we're going to get to see that exploration happen kind of concurrently in MCP and in Marvel Comics. And I am very excited for that as a niche nerd in both areas. Oh, absolutely. And I just can't wait to get into the table because she hulks such an interesting character already. A high cost leader is already a very interesting thing. We've seen this with Magneto, which we'll get into later today. So I'm happy she has a really large roster to choose from for her team, but I'm just 
looking forward to this team getting on the table. What are they like? How do they play? What is it like having a team of all these unique female superheroes all at once? You know, because like you said, it is an Avengers level team. But what's interesting about that, Chris, is some of these other factions like Asgard is a great example. They all have the innate Asgardian trait. They all are kind of these tanky, heavy hitting characters that cost fairly high points. You know, you can say the same with like Black Order and other factions. They have pretty unique individual identities of the characters in the faction. But then there's factions like A-Force, Cabal, Avengers, which are just so wide that you've got so much variety because of the number of characters alone. Like, forget the leadership. Just look at the characters, what they do. They're so different, you know? And that's what makes these factions really interesting. I mean, like the Avengers have Logan now, right? It's like him and Avengers is a very different thing from you know, Captain America just doing his Avengers thing. So I think the same thing's going to happen with A-Force. We're going to see where they go in the game because they've got so many options. It's kind of just wide open. And I, I really do like that. So we'll see how it goes and stay tuned for more A-Force talk, of course, on our She-Hulk episode. But moving on, Chris, we've gotten a couple spoilers from Atomic Mass, which is very exciting. Not the cards yet, but we have gotten some really nice blogs on the panel to play about Black Bolt and Medusa. And I just want to touch on them real quick because I know Black Bolt is up there for you as one of your big characters, especially these days. And what do you think about Black Bolt? First of all, Chris, apparently being five stamina on the front and nine stamina on his injured side on the back. It's wild. I'm really not sure what to think about it. (laughs) We're just going to have to see the full kit, you know, as a completed work of art instead of, uh, you know, just looking at corners, I think. But yeah, it's going to, it's definitely making me feel like this is going to be a very interesting character. Well, and I didn't mention yet, but he is five threat, which I think is very interesting right at the gate that we have a five threat leader, just akin to Thor or a six threat leader, like a Magneto, like that's already interesting enough. And then you've got this nine stamina on the back and he gains his big attack, which is his whisper. So it's akin to Tony's Unibeam, but much stronger. It's a beam for strength nine attack. And he's going to also destroy any train that's size two or smaller, the beam overlaps and potentially leave the target stunned and staggered. That is insanely (laughs) powerful. Yeah. It actually makes Scott's optic blasts look weak, which is a strange thing to say. Well, they nailed it. I mean, that's, that is lore accurate. Of course, it's a very expensive attack to do. And I know Chris in your mind, at least this is what I thought when I saw this, I was like, well, Chris's Scott dream could come true because he could have Black Bolt on his Scott team and they're feeding Black Bolt, you know, the big giant beam attack power, you know, with Scott's leadership. It might be the way I go, man. That might be the way it, ha- it might be how it happens. And then you have Scott on the other side of the table doing beam attacks as well. And you've just got this like nice pipe dream going on. Yeah. Just create some crossfire with some beam attacks. Yeah. Let's not forget that they cost nine threat just for the two of them. You know, that's put, fine. Push that aside. it's really good i also love that he destroys the terrain it's so neat it's the evolution of the unibeam from tony that shoots through terrain and the corset i really do like that now moving on to medusa we actually don't know much about her we know that she can whip enemies with her mane as we know it's a strength five attack with the ability to knock back targets which makes sense and they also said that Medusa can do braid bash, which has potential to trigger flurry, which allows her to basically make another braid bash attack. So I'm really curious, Chris, if Medusa is going to be lower threat or medium threat, who knows, or if she's going to have 
sort of support options, but we didn't get as much about her. I'm really interested to see. One of the standout things, though, about Medusa, they talked about she has the innate power of living strands, which is exactly like Angela's errated living ribbons, which is where you cannot advance or climb or overlap Medusa with your movement tool. And you cannot change or reroll your attack dice when you target Medusa with attacks. So pretty nice. Very cool. So similar to Angela, she could potentially gum up some spots on the battlefield, especially with terrain, because people can't pass through her or around her in an effective way. So we will see going forward. But, you know, we're still waiting on Atomic Mass to drop more Inhuman spoilers, and I can't wait to talk about Crystal and Lockjaw, hopefully, next episode. But we've got kind of a crazy episode today, Chris. Arguably, you know, and I say that I feel like I say this all the time because we do love Marvel so much, but I cannot overstate this enough, I think, for myself and certainly Chris. This character is one of our favorite characters and is one of my favorite villains of all time. Magneto is not a villain. Magneto was right. There you go. It's been said already. It's been said. Similar to our Logan episode, we're going to temper our love. Also, we're going to try to get Magneto's lore, strategy, and discussion hopefully as concise as we can. So bear with us because this is a quite intense character. So I think we just got to get into it, Chris. Let's do it. Fury's Finest is sponsored by Discount Games, Inc. Go to www.discountgamesinc.com for all your Marvel, Crisis Protocol, and miniature gaming needs. Our patrons support Fury's Finest at patreon.com slash Finest. If you enjoy the show, consider supporting it with a monthly contribution. We thank all of our patrons for their support. And this week, a very special and very big thank you to a very well-named person, Chris V. Thank you very much for becoming a patron. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> And of course, we cannot forget to thank our Avenger producer, Matthew R., and our Avenger producer, Brett C. Thank you guys so much. You keep the show running. And thank you to all the patrons once again, guys. We talked about it a lot in our Looking to 2020 episode. Those of you that have stayed on with us, you really are helping the show grow and move into future projects. And if you want to have more interesting things this year from our show, the Patreon is the best way to join in this community and help us do that. So thank you. All right, Chris, let's get into this lore. We're going to have to talk about some pretty adult themes early on in this lore. For just a heads up for you guys out there, it is going to be concerning the Holocaust. There is going to be some death. It's not pleasant. We'll get through it as quickly as we can. So let's start off. Who is Magneto? What is Magneto about? And Magneto's experiences during the Holocaust, where he was in Auschwitz, shaped his outlook on the situation that mutants face in the entirety of the Marvel 616 universe. And living through that taught him that mutants needed to be in control of their own destiny. And they needed to seize the power. And that was, or that is what he's attempted to do through most of his Marvel life. And how he's done that has changed and varied over the years. He's been a, you know, he's been the big bad villain. He's been an anti hero. He's been the best headmaster the school's had until Wolverine came along. He's been everything. And mm-hmm. uh, Chris Claremont really, really fleshed him out in very, very interesting ways. 
But of course, he was created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. No surprise there. And his first appearance was in X-Men number one, September of 1963. Right up there with the best of them. Oh, yeah. So let's step into his superpowers really quick. Magneto has the power to manipulate magnetic fields to achieve a wide wide range of effects. The primary application of his power is control over magnetism and the manipulation of both ferrous and non-ferrous metal. I had to look that one up too, guys. No worries. (laughs) Ferrous metal contains lead. Non-ferrous metal is going to be metals like bronze that do not contain any lead. While the maximum amount of mass that Magneto can manipulate at one time is as of yet unknown, he has moved large asteroids several times and effortlessly levitated a 30,000-ton nuclear sub. His powers extend into the atomic level, allowing him to manipulate chemical structures and rearrange matter, although this is often a strenuous task. He can manipulate a large number of individual objects simultaneously and has assembled complex machinery with his powers. Uh, He can also affect non-metallic and non-magnetic objects to a lesser extent and frequently wears metal bracelets on his ankles and wrists, allowing him to levitate. He can also generate electromagnetic pulses of great strength and generate and manipulate electromagnetic energy down to photons. Hmm. Magneto has frequently been depicted as able to resist all but the strongest or most unexpected of telepathic attacks. A number of explanations have been proposed for his unusually strong resistance to telepathy. Among them, technology wired into his helmet, the explanation given in most comic plot lines, and also probably the explanation that you had before this episode, or B, some physical aspect of his electromagnetic powers that can interfere with telepathy, or C, latent telepathic powers of his own, D, sheer force of will. And Magneto is the kind of character that possesses that sheer force of will to be able to do something ridiculous like that, like just outwill Jean Grey's talent for telepathy. The theme of latent telepathic powers has been explored in a number of stories, among them the Secret Wars limited series. In some of his earliest appearances, Magneto was depicted as capable of engaging in astral projection. He has used Cerebro to locate mutants at great distances while leading the new mutants. He has also, on rare occasions, been shown reading others' dreams issuing telepathic commands, and probing the minds of others. He has demonstrated the ability to shield his mind while in intense meditation, so completely that even Emma Frost was not able to read his thoughts. And of course, like any other insane villain, he has a litany of other powers, such as genius, competence, and various fields of of advanced science, ridiculous amounts of other skills like his skill sheet on the D character creator is insane he's maxed out almost on everything oh man he's got them all willpower for sure yeah intelligence it's yeah it's too much he's very powerful very powerful i can't imagine how hard it was to come up with a rule set for his powers <laughs> man i just cannot no okay guys so let's get into his history So uh, the thing I'm going to cover in most depth here is going to be his origin story. I know we've kind of seen it 
in some movies and whatnot, and you've likely read it before, but not everyone has, and it is a little bit more intense than it is depicted in the movies. So we're going to get into it now. And this is where the kind of adult theme warning is going to come into effect. Magneto was born Max Eisenhardt sometime in the late 1920s to a middle-class German-Jewish family. Max's father, Jacob, was a decorated World War I veteran. Surviving discrimination and hardship during the Nazis' rise to power, the passing of the Nuremberg Laws in 1935 in Kristallnacht, Max and his family fled to Poland, where they were captured during the German invasion of Poland and sent to the Warsaw Ghetto. Max and his family escaped the ghetto, only to be betrayed and captured again. His mother, father, and sister were executed and buried in a mass grave, but Max survived, possibly due to the manifestation of his mutant powers. Escaping from the mass grave, he was ultimately captured yet again and sent to Auschwitz, where he eventually became a Surden Commando. And of course, the Surden Commandos are the Jews that were used by the Nazis to gas other Jews. Mm-hmm. It's a horrible, horrible thing. While at Auschwitz, Max reunited with a Romani girl named Majda, whom he had fallen in love with when he was younger and with whom he would escape the concentration camp during the October 7th 1944 revolt. During the war, he and Majda moved to the Ukrainian city of Vinitsia, and Max adopted the name Magnus. Majda and Magnus had a daughter named Anya and lived uneventfully until an angry mob, spurned on by the first manifestation of Magnus's powers, burned down their home with Anya still inside. Magnus was enraged at the mob for preventing him from rescuing Anya, and his powers were unleashed, killing the mob and destroying a part of the city. Majda, now terrified at Magnus's powers, left him and later gave birth to the mutant twins Pietro and Wanda before she died. Wanted by the authorities for the deaths and destruction in Venezia, and while searching for Majda, Magnus paid a Romani forger, George Odenkirk, to create the cover identity Eric Lenschner, the Sint Gypsy. Eric moved to Israel, where he met and befriended Charles Xavier while working at a psychiatric hospital near Haifa. There, the two debated the consequences humanity faced with the rise of mutants, though neither revealed to the other they were mutants. However, they were eventually forced to reveal their inherent abilities to one another while facing Baron Strucker and Hydra. After the battle, Eric realized that his and Xavier's views were incompatible, and he left with a cache of hidden Nazi gold, which provided him the finances to pursue his goals. And of course, his goals were, at that time enslaving humanity and ruling with mutants becoming a ruling class over human chattel. So this is when you're going to get the Magneto of, you know, the 60s and the 70s, Magneto with Asteroid M, the Brotherhood, the Brotherhood Reformed, just, you know, the the very classic, classic. Iconic, yeah. Yeah, and think of those great covers that you've seen from so many of those X-Men issues with Magneto on the front. You know, these are just the classic Magneto is a bad guy. Nothing much to it. And then we're going to get into Magneto's reformation in the 80s. And this is when the character really starts to take on more nuance, which is what I love the most about Magneto. He is so complicated and so nuanced. What ends up happening here is Magneto is going to nearly kill a very young Kitty Pride. And this really, 
really affects him because this young Kitty Pride, she is a young Jewish girl. He sees himself in her and realizes that he has become the oppressor and he starts to reform. I love it. So he's going to realize here that Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are his children. He's going to use Quicksilver's human child, Luna Maximov, as kind of... He's going to try to use Luna, anyway, as kind of this bridge between the human and the mutant worlds. And finally, he's going to start finding himself allied with Professor X and the X-Men when the Beyonder shows up and, of course, wisps everyone away to Battleworld for the first Secret Wars event, which, of course, classic cover Spider-Man in the black suit on the cover, red background, mm, just chef's kiss. So here on Battleworld, the Beyonder has split everyone up into two sides, the kind of selfless side and the, you know, the evil side, the very selfish side. And Magneto, surprisingly, gets put on the selfless hero side of things because his dream his ultimate heart's desire is for an end to mutant persecution not the persecution of humans he's a noble noble man so after dealing with the secret wars and the beyonder he comes back he recovers from his injuries and and on charles xavier's you know one of his many deathbeds at this point he wants magneto to kind of take over the school so this brings us to magneto Headmaster and Magneto, you know, being in the New Mutants. I think this is a wonderful, wonderful run of the New Mutants. It is definitely worth reading. It really details how much Magneto is trying to do the right thing. But the entire time, the students view him through this lens of his previous action and this in this previous life, this life consumed with anger, and they never can quite fully trust him and they, you know, see things like when he's he's kind of infiltrating the Hellfire Club, the students see this and they hear him kind of, you know, he's in he's in gimmick. He's he's undercover. He's he's playing a character and they hear him, you know, saying how he wants to dominate the world and that just deteriorates the whole relationship and and eventually he will <laughs> retire from that life and the new mutants of course will be kind of taken over by Cable. And that was a whole thing. You can watch a documentary on it on uh, Netflix. So following this, he's kind of tired of this constant strife and battle and constant just, you know, bad things happening, students dying, you know, just mutant stuff. So he retires to Asteroid M again. He's going to just kind of retire and live quietly ever after. But he gets attacked. So now he's mad. There's some dealings with uh, Moira McTaggart and the X-Men come to save her. Yada, yada, yada. We're going to get to Magneto kind of attacking the entirety of the Earth and the United Nations. They've thought about this. They knew something like this was a probability. So they institute the Magneto Protocols, which is a satellite network that kind of skews the Earth's magnetic field just enough to keep Magneto from using his powers. So the way Magneto gets around this is that giant EMP we talked about in the uh, in the power section. This is where it comes from. He EMPs everybody. This uh, is also going to lead us into the cloning of Magneto. His clone's name is Joseph. So Magneto kind of goes underground, and Joseph is is a public figure. Joins the X Men as a matter of fact. 
And and he is Magneto at large to humanity. It's, it's who they believe. Eventually, Joseph is going to sacrifice himself to save humanity, of course, because Joseph rules. <laughs> and this is going to kind of lead us into Genosha, which is going to lead us, of course, to the destruction of Genosha. And the destruction of Genosha is going to be... It's really cool to me because I'm a big Polaris fan. And this is where Polaris is publicly proclaimed Magneto's daughter. She's the heir of Genosha, at least for a while. We're going to go from here into House of M. And this Magneto is involved here, of course, because it is Wanda that is is the centerpiece of House of M. It is kind of her reality-shaping powers that lead us to a world of very, very, very few mutants, uh, an entire population of mutants depowered. So coming out of the House of M, I I would talk about it more, but Magneto isn't central to it. It's it's more about Wanda and and Layla Miller and that whole thing. We're going to go through Son of M. We're going to, I'm not touching the collective, y'all. We're not getting into Zorn. If you want to get into Zorn, we can do it another day. Yeah. Not here. It's just too much, guys. It's a lot. Yeah. So of course, Magneto is going to appear in some more storylines. He's going to appear in Divided We Stand. He's going to have a part to play in Manifest Destiny. But the next big thing I want to talk about is Magneto kind of playing at nation states again. That's really the part of Magneto's character that really interests me because I have a history degree. I studied you know, kind of ancient Greek stuff in college for a little while. I'm no expert by any means, but it, it is fascinating to me. And this this kind of city-state that you kind of see Magneto trying to build constantly for mutants is very interesting to me. And of course, he tries again in Nation X, where he aids the X-Men in kind of creating this utopia island that's made from the remnants of Asteroid M. He also helps defend this island from the Predator X monsters. He's a full-on member of the X-Men now. He's doing X-Men things, big things, big things that really need his powers. He's keeping the asteroid stable and keeping it from sinking. He's working with the Atlanteans to stable the asteroid and something that works for Atlantis as well. He even saves Kitty Pride, who has been trapped in a giant Earth-destroying metal bullet from Breakworld, which we will get into. Of course, this is from Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men, which I highly recommend anyone to read. I just absolutely adore that story. So he saves Kitty Pride here, and he brings her back into the fold, which is great because it kind of it's kind of a coming full circle. This kind of reformation that he's seen started with Kitty Pride, and he kind of you know kind of makes amends a little bit by saving her from a literally an eternity of shooting through space and then you know knowing that the bullet you're shooting through space and that you can't phase out of destroyed your home planet as well it's just it's intense it's intense man but in him doing this doesn't he go basically in a near-death state right a coma yes he is going to be in a coma for a while and he's going to come out of that coma in second coming which is going to then lead into the Children's Crusade, which is, it's Magneto working with the Young Avengers to find Wanda, who's still missing from House of M, while also uh, two members of the Young Avengers, Wiccan and Speed, are reincarnations of Wanda's children. So there's kind of a grandfatherly thing going on there as well. So Magneto, Wiccan, and Speed find Wanda. 
But for some reason, the Avengers are trying to stop Magneto from reuniting Wanda with the, the young Avengers. They encounter Quicksilver. Quicksilver tries to kill Magneto. And then lo and behold, Wanda was a Doombot the whole time. It's like the TV, uh, TV trope, the Cylon TV trope. Of course. Wanda was a Cylon. Really kind of kind of anticlimactic. So that's going <laughs> to bring us to Magneto going public. He's a super well-known mutant revolutionary slash terrorist. He's working with the X-Men. He's fighting for mutant kind within the X-Men's rules. He's kind of a full-on hero. He's still seen as an activist slash terrorist to most of humanity, but he's kind of, he's on the side of light now. And that is where we're going to leave off for the day because we have a lot to talk about it comes to not only movies, but Magneto's tactics section is going to be beefy. So if you want to continue here, there is the Magneto ongoing series that picked up here in 2014. He's also involved in Axis and of course the Secret Wars and so on and so forth. The thing that's going on, he is heavily involved in the Hickman reboot of the X-Men that's happening currently. So I would recommend anyone go out and try that on for size. If it's not your thing, I get it, but at least know it's out there. It's it's pretty cryptic. It's pretty cool. Very different. I dig it a lot, but I certainly understand that it's not everyone's cup of tea. Fair enough. Very good. Well, Chris, we've got to talk about Magneto in film, and it's quite extensive as well. So I'm just going to go through and name all the films he was in, and then we can talk about some thoughts. So he was in X-Men, X2, X-Men 3, The Last Stand, X-Men First Class, The Wolverine as a Cameo, X-Men Days of Future Past, X-Men Apocalypse, and Dark Phoenix. He, Charles Xavier, and Logan are the only characters that are in this many films. It turns out they're in a lot of them. So those three actors had an entire career's worth of Fox mutant movies. Absolutely. And you know, you say three actors, I mean, technically we've got that's true. Five, five. actors, You're five right. actors. Right. And so of course let's get into just Magneto in the films. Magneto is first portrayed by Sir Ian McKellen and then is later played by Michael Fassbender and his younger self. The Magneto they are, are specifically doing of course is the Eric Magneto onward and the filmmakers said they also took a lot of inspiration for Magneto's kind of thought process and inspiration in these films from Malcolm X, of all people, which makes a lot of sense when you look at the films through that oh, lens. Absolutely. And it's kind of just the Magneto they chose to go in these films because there is so many paths you can go with Magneto. That's kind of even reflected in the way he's portrayed in the comics as to his relationship with other mutants. He's kind of heralded as a star. Right. One of my favorite mutants, Kid Omega, Quentin Quire, kind of rose to prominence, you know, after his initial creation and Morrison on kind of creating him and, and making the character, mm. he rises to prominence wearing a Magneto was right t-shirt. You know, he's that bratty over overly enthused kid in high school, you know, wearing that that really kind of hot takey shirt. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That's that's very interesting. Yeah, that we got pop culture within the pop culture. That as well, right? Magneto's kind of fame and stardom and to some mutants, his sort of there's elements in the comics, you know, and even in the movies where they kind of treat Magneto as this savior, you know, to mutant kind. Absolutely. Of and that's the theme we see re reoccurring a lot in the films as well. Especially considering a lot of the films do focus on that late seventies era Magneto Brotherhood context. But yeah, 
let's talk about just Sir Ian McKellen. I mean, he's one of the great living actors. Of course, you know, people know him from so many things and he's done so well. But, you know, it's kind of hard to not think of him as Gandalf and as Magneto. It's kind of like his standout performances, as many people know him from. But, you know, it's just so interesting that Magneto happened right before Gandalf and they were just back to back. So he was just working all these years on the Fox X-Men's and the Lord of the Rings, like, you know, just back to back. I mean, talk about working, man. And talk about putting in the time. (laughs) He did a lot at this time in the early 2000s. And of course, you know, he came back and reprised Magneto several times later, you know, in the 2010s onward, like things like X-Men Days of Future Past, which I think is a very fun movie. And of course, Fassbender's in that as well. So, and Chris and I have a lot of thoughts on Fassbender. He's kind of the best part of all the young X-Men movies. We've talked about this a lot. We talk about this in our cerebral commentary at first class. If you haven't listened to that, go in our feed and listen to it. We just kind of are gushing about Fassbender a lot for good reason, because not only is his acting superb, but his, his stand his appearance, his gaze, his sort of nuanced parts of Magneto, but when he's not speaking, are there as well. He's really, really a masterful actor. So it's just kind of a pleasure to watch him work. It really is. So even when the movies get silly, sometimes like the level of work that Fassbender brings to the character is just kind of astounding. And then you've got, you know, a lot of other great actors surrounding him. So we love these guys. Uh, they, They did a great job and you know, they were kind of the heart and soul in a lot of ways. Like we talked about Charles, Xavier, Logan, and Magneto were kind of the heart and soul of these movies. And they were kind of things that brought people back time and time again, even in the worst movies of these series, a lot of those character moments of those characters bring people to the movies essentially, which makes perfect sense. And you know, these guys did a stellar job. You can watch even the old movies and just watch Ian McKellen's performance, especially his performance alongside Patrick Stewart as Xavier. And it's just watching them both work is just masterclass in itself. Oh, absolutely. So Chris, that's where we're going to leave the Marvel cinema for Magneto today, because I think a lot more is going to come up and more of our X-Men discussions. But do you have any comic book recommendations? I have two really good ones, really quick ones. The Magneto solo series, which I talked a little bit about uh, from 2014 by Colin Bunn, highly recommended. Very good. And also, God Loves, Man Kills. You know, we've talked about it before. It's kind of the perfect encapsulation of what the X-Men mean, and Magneto's a huge part of that. So, so Chris, if you had to sum up Magneto as a whole to close out this lore section, because I feel like you touched on a lot of his story points, and we touched on a lot of his early motivations, and of course his insane superpowers, but what makes him tick? Why is he such a great character? Why is he so nuanced? I think it's his nobility. Okay. It's his adherence to his principles that, you know, a lot of the nuance and a lot of the interest from me comes from a lot of the areas that the character delves into. So like I was talking about the the kind of nation state thing, you know, you're not going to see Wolverine trying to do that. That's that is a Magneto thing. That's a Doctor Doom thing. Yes. So it, it's characters like that that I really I really am fascinated by. Okay. Yeah. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> These uh, <laughs> world domination villains that are masterminds and turning nations against each other. Okay, I got it. <laughs> I don't know, man. He's just, he's really interesting, and he's he's got such a great look. Kirby did such a great job with the character yes. design. Uh, he's been written. He's he's got so much history, you know, with so many different characters. Beautiful variants too of his costume. He's got some of the most interesting variants of costume of of a character. Always striking. And then there was something I was talking to you about 
off mic actually is that Magneto is not necessarily the focal point of a just a ton in Marvel, but he is adjacent or a major linchpin in so many stories. Right. He will come up again in our Wanda, oh, yeah. our Wanda episode because, you know, Wanda's confirmed for the game and she's a super powerful mutant. And it's just so cool, like Magneto being her father. Like you talk about adjacent. It's pretty intense. Well, I mean, he's not technically her father anymore, but. I know things get wild and weird in Marvel all the time, as we know. Yeah, I think you nailed it, Chris. I think another reason why he's one of my favorite villains, part of the reason why we've talked about Thanos being so interesting and Magneto is even more interesting than Thanos to me is just, we've talked about this a lot, but it's, it's a writing trope that works when all of a villain's moral backing and their decisions and everything they do in their life is for what they think is right, whether it's right or not, we're not judging that from the story, but it's like, if they're doing everything they think is right, it makes them a compelling villain because they're not just pure evil or something. And Magneto's a perfect example of this, because as you said earlier, he's not always doing super evil things. In his mind though, he's always doing what's best for mutant kind and all those mutants he cares about. And it gets really nuanced and strange because he's also got these sort of mastermind genius level intensity about him. (laughs) where he can turn that on a dime. Absolutely. So the thing is, he has no moral dilemmas though. You know, like he, his path is true. And it's so interesting. Like you said, pair that with his nobility and his kind of genius. And then of course his superpowers. And you've got a really compelling, not only character, but villain when he is a villain and kind of a great character when he's a great character. And it's kind of the reasons why I said I grew to love Ronan so much last year. Oh yeah. Because Ronan is completely bound by his code, by his ethics, by his view of the world and morals and things. But, you know, to an outsider, he might look very, very intense or bordering on evil. We're talking about the Ronan in comics, of course. And I think Magneto is so interesting because he's a similar type character. But on top of that, you got all these wonderful layers of writing, his incredible history with being a Holocaust survivor and what happened to him in a very Frankenstein-esque way early on in his life with his wife and his family, you know, literal mob coming after him with his mutant powers, all these things cemented kind of his path to make all the decisions he now makes kind of permanently. It's really interesting. We could talk about him all day and I think we have to stop Chris, because I think we're going to have future talks about Magneto and all those commentary series. And I'm excited to see where those go because he is all over those movies. Well, rightfully so. As he should be. So, Chris, I think it's time to move over to strategy. Let's go. His name is Magneto. His alter ego is Max Eisenhart. He has six stamina. He moves short. He has a height of two and a threat cost of six. His defenses are three physical, three energy, six mystic. And on his backside, Chris, his stamina goes up to eight. So he has a total of 14 stamina. What stands out to you about Magneto? Well, it just seems like he's going to be a mystic counter, doesn't it? It does. And that, that seems good, right? Seems good. That's very evocative of his helmet. Six threat. What do you think about That's that? That's a lot, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's more than Thor. And I mean, I mean, he's there. Uh, if you want to talk about Omega level mutants, he's, he's the poster child. He is a demigod. Yeah, and Six is the highest threat we've seen in Marvel Crisis Protocol. So he's up there with Hulk and Thanos, and it makes perfect sense to me. And, you know, we've always talked about how nuanced of characters Hulk and Thanos are, like when they're used, how they're used correctly, knowing the characters perfectly. Magneto's no different, Chris. If you don't use him right, if you don't get him turn zero right where he needs to be, 
you can have a harder time later, but I do think he's a little bit more explosive than the other two in some ways when he's in position, if that makes sense. And we'll get to that. So let's just get into his attacks because I think a lot of this is going to make more sense. His first attack is a physical attack called reverse polarity. It is range three, six strength, zero power cost. After this attack is resolved, this character gains power equal to the damage dealt. If the target character is within two of Magneto, Magneto may re-roll any number of his attack dice. If it is not, after the attack is resolved, push the target character away short. So basically, an easy way to remember this, Chris, it's a six strength strike, which we know is very powerful. So he's going to gain power equal to the damage dealt. If the character is in that melee range, basically that range two of Magneto, Magneto can reroll any number of the, the attack dice. So you talk about consistency, but if they're not within range two, if they're outside of range two, he just gets to push them short, which is also great because notice that's not a wild trigger. You love it. You absolutely love it. It's bad for them either way. No matter what, you're having a bad day. <laughs> That's right. His next attack is a physical attack. It is Shrapnel Blast. It is an area two, strength six, power cost of five. When measuring the range and line of sight for this attack, you may choose to measure the range and line of sight from a metal construct within range three of this character instead of from this character. If you do, after all the attacks are resolved, the metal construct is destroyed. After each attack is resolved, the target character gains the stun special condition. Okay, so this is good, Chris, and it's going to make more sense when we talk about the metal constructs. But basically, A2 is just good in general for six dice. Very expensive for five, but you can also draw it from his metal constructs, which he generates every round. I do like too, Chris, that after the stack is resolved, the target character gains the stun special condition. Once again, not a wild trigger. Earlier was just push them short. Now it's give them stun. So if you trigger an A2 well, keep in mind, this could also be just from Magneto if you want. You're giving out a lot of stun. It's really nice. Yeah, that's a lot of status conditions if you can get multiple characters in that radius. That's it for his attacks, Chris. So so notice, Chris, on the Shrapnel Blast, it's A2, but it says you can also draw from range three of a construct. So essentially, in a weird way, this is range three plus two, basically, if you put them up to next to each other. Right. Right. You've got to think of it that way, too. So you always got to be kind of aware of where Magneto is and where his constructs are. So just think of that going forward. So we're just going to jump into Magneto's superpowers because he's got quite a bit. His first superpower is his Brotherhood Leadership from the Ruins affiliation, Brotherhood of Mutants. When a terrain feature is destroyed after the effect is resolved, choose a number of allied characters equal to or less than the terrain feature's size. Each chosen character gains one power. A character may only gain one power as a result of this leadership ability per turn. To break this down simply, Chris, when any piece of terrain on the map is destroyed, either by effects being thrown by you or the enemy team or something else, a superhero destroying something, whatever the size is, you can divvy out power to your team, one power each person. So that's pretty nice. It's kind of insane, actually, in some ways. Well, especially when we get to his constructs, that's really wild. Yeah. Notice it's per turn, not per round. So similar to the Avengers, you can discount a superpower once per turn. Obviously, it wouldn't be very good once per round because you only get to do it six times a game. This is the same way. So say Magneto goes, he throws something, it's destroyed. It's a size two thing. You pass one power to Mystique, one power to Sabretooth. Well, 
Then it moves to an enemy's turn and they destroy something or they throw a piece of terrain. You get to pass that power again. Does that make sense? Mm. As long as you're within different windows, you're okay. So basically every activation within a round, if there was something that was destroyed, which is not going to happen, but say it did, you could pass the power out accordingly. Notice also it says a character may only gain one power as a result of this leadership per turn. So you could even destroy a size two terrain with Magneto, pass one power to Toad, pass one power to Magneto himself, destroy another size two terrain pass one power to Mystique, pass one power to Sabretooth. Does that make sense? Because it's not gated on how many times you can do it per turn. Does that make sense? It is the number of characters that can gain power from it on a turn. So yeah, if you've only got a team of three or four people, it's just going to happen once in that little window, but it gets really weird later on. And we're going to talk about that with Magneto's throw coming up. It just gets, it's a weird way to frame it and think about it. Also why I'm saying brotherhood is such a high skill ceiling affiliation. So Chris, continuing with our superpowers, this one also is pretty tough coming up, but I'm just gonna let you dive right in. Let's go. This is an active superpower. It is fatal attraction. Its power cost is X. This character may spend one to four power when paying the cost of this superpower. Choose an interactive terrain feature within range 3 and with a size equal to or less than the power spent to use this superpower and throw it long. Before using this superpower, this character must pay 1 power for each time it has already been used this turn. This is pretty wild, Chris. This is pretty complicated in the way of power. you got to spend a lot of power to do this, but this in a nutshell means Magneto is the only character in the game who can throw multiple things a turn. The only one in the way of terrain. So let's say he starts off the turn by spending two power to throw a car at, let's say, Wolverine. That cost two, right? Because it was just, we paid the X cost of two to throw a size two car. First of all, the car is blown up and now you just triggered the from the ruins for the Brotherhood. So you get to pass out two power to your team. (laughs) Okay, so you pass out the two power And then let's say Magneto has more power. He wants to throw another car that's size two. The only restriction from him not throwing another car, as opposed to every other character in the game where they can just throw one thing on their activation, that's it, is he just pays one extra power because it says pay one extra power each time it has already been used this turn. So essentially, you're throwing a size two car again, costs two, but you already threw something earlier this turn. So now it costs two plus one. So it's three but you just throw another car. That's so cool. Yeah. So now if you've got members of your team who haven't gotten power from the affiliation bonus yet, because I said we already passed out power from the first car, you can pass it to them now. So you see how this goes. Magneto could keep going. He could essentially throw a lot of things. I mean, you, you could get silly if you wanted to like throw another car for two, but then you're going to add two on top of its costs because you've thrown two things prior to it. So it would cost four, but you would essentially throw again because we know on Fury's Finest how insanely powerful throws are in the game. It's just guaranteed hits because every time you're throwing that size two car, that's three auto hits they have to dodge save. So say you did three cars in a turn, Chris. I mean, that's nine dice. That's nine saves on one character. (laughs) Guaranteed. Now. There's a power cost with that, right? It costs two originally. It costs three the second time, so that's five. It costs four the last time. It's still possible on Magneto's turn, which is crazy because it turns out he's going to have power a lot, a lot. What do you think about all that throwing of things? My head is spinning. It's a lot to wrap your head around. Also, 
let's not negate the fact that I'm talking about the cool little combo of just throwing a bunch of little things over and over again, right? But let's also just not forget the combo that Magneto can just pay for and throw a size four building, <laughs> you know? I mean, <laughs> I mean, why not, you know? <laughs> why not? Just do it one time. It's nice. Well, and you know, that size four building would then blow up and then you would get to pass out four power to your brotherhood team. It's really powerful. I'm a big fan of this character, Chris, as you can probably imagine. Yeah, he's he's a one man team. Yeah, no, he is the the brother. Yeah, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Every other character in that affiliation is just there to support Magneto. Seriously, man, he makes he's the engine. Right, he's giving everybody the power constantly to do what they want to do, but then he's also a terrifying heavy hitter who can basically one on one most characters in the game. So you really got to think about how to approach him. So let's move on to his next superpower. It's an active superpower called force projection costs two power. When Magneto is targeted by an attack or would make a dodge roll, you may use this superpower. Magneto uses mystic defense to defend or dodge. This character cannot be pushed or thrown as a result of the special rules of this attack or collision. So Chris, this is just a better version of Ebony Maw's power. Essentially, if you have two power Magneto, you can always use your Mystic Defense. You got a big physical attack coming in, use your Mystic Defense of six. You got a big energy attack coming in, use your Mystic Defense of six. But most importantly, I think the sleeper on this superpower and the coolest part about it is if you do this, you auto trigger this. You cannot be pushed or thrown as a result of the special rules of this attack or collision. So that's huge. He's not going anywhere. That's huge at MCP, as we know. When Magneto camps on an objective, he's going to be there, you know? He plants his feet, man. He ain't moving. That's him literally controlling all the debris around him. It makes perfect sense. And then on top of that, he's got the mystic helmet, which is preventing him from mystic and psychic attacks. I love it. Very cool. So let's move on to his last superpower. This is an innate superpower. It is Master of Magnetism. During the power phase, if there are fewer than two Metal Construct terrain features in play, place one Metal Construct terrain feature within range three of this character. It is a size two interactive terrain feature. Then this character gains one power for each Metal Construct in play. Characters may never overlap a Metal Construct. Such a cool mechanic really awesome yeah from the minute chris we saw it on the gen con video oh you and i were so intrigued by the metal like debris that was on bases alongside him and turns out they're called metal constructs okay some quick takeaways from this you know for us and for listeners at home which i think is great every power phase you're getting one of these no matter what unless you already have two out and then you're just not getting one you just have two out so even when magneto has zero at the start of every power phase he's gaining one power from the power phase and gaining one power from a construct you just made because it's going to happen every time so he's basically an asgardian he's always getting two power every turn but then you know if you've got another construct out the previous round and then you go into another round you're going to get one power from the new round one power from the construct you already had out and one construct of the new construct you're placing this round so that's three power chris that's pretty interesting too cuz that means going into turn 2 you know the first turn you might be able to kind of start seeing some action you can have five power on magneto going in certainly that's cool it's really nice it's really powerful. And let's also not forget, Chris, that it is a hard mechanic to manage these correctly, but also it's very rewarding. When you throw one of these at an enemy and it blows up, it's size two so that you pass out two power to your team. So 
you're also netting power from them in that way as well. There's essentially more terrain for Magneto to throw almost whenever he wants because he can always pretty much throw a size two feature. Well, yeah, he's getting he's getting power fed to him left and right. And we've already talked about his reverse polarity, his strike, which is six dice, which is a very strong strike. And then the fact that they are within range too, he gets as many rerolls as he wants. So not only is that incredibly high damage, but more importantly, Chris, that's an incredibly high way to get a lot of power. And, you know, say you get four power from that strike. Well, now you just throw anything you want. You know what I mean? Right. At the same target, probably daze them, blow up the piece of terrain you just blew up and then pass the power out to your brotherhood team again. So it's really crazy. Let's also mention that these are interactive terrain features. So enemies can throw these constructs. A very strong way to deal with Magneto is throw his constructs at him or his team members, try to make him not have him going into the power phase. I know the brotherhood will still gain power from the terrain being blown up. But it's a way to take them away from him because you certainly don't want him now, Chris, with this in mind, thinking about that you get one of these at this top of the power phase within range three of Magneto anywhere he's on the map. Well, that also means, Chris, that you were talking about him having five power at the start of round two and probably most rounds going forward. Well, what's scary about that is you could just place one of these like a bomb in the middle of their team and then just shrapnel blast as your first activation exactly it's very powerful as well so you've got a fun little mini game to play as magneto i want them out to give my team cover i want them out to give myself more power but you also want to be blowing them up to do shrapnel blast you also want to throw them when you feel like it so you've got a lot of variability i also like that they give your team cover and stuff you know it's really nice it's very cool it's very big brain they give the enemy cover too (laughs) right it's yeah he's just a endlessly fascinating character as far as his kit goes Without a doubt, the most interesting character we've covered on the show so far. And there's been some really interesting ones. You know, closing out his kit, Chris, he has the innate superpower of flight. So he is a short move, but he has flight. Let's talk about his strengths and weaknesses real quick. And the first one that comes to mind is he is a medium-sized base and a short move. So he's not the fastest guy in the game, but the medium-sized base does help. It's going to help a little bit. That's, that is still his major weakness is going to be his his mobility. He's not a mobile character. No, he's not. But this game has plenty of ways for you to devise around that or just play with it. You know, yeah, it's like, it's almost like mystique is a long mover <laughs> and you can kind of exactly. make up for some of his flaws that he has. You know, another flaw of his Chris is it kind of goes against what you want to do with him. If you're using force projection all the time, that's the pay to power to use your mystic defense, incredibly tanky, incredibly powerful. But at the same time, if you keep using that two power all the time, you're not going to have your power to do your big attacks. You're not going to have your power to do your throws. So once again, very big brain, as Chris said, a lot of give and take. You see that and you're like, oh, two power. I'm going to have that every turn, which you will. You can, you know, use your mystic defense every turn. Do you want to though every turn? Probably not. So it's the hard decisions are going to be thinking about when, when do you do it? You know, when do you actually use that? And that's just feel for the game. It is. That's knowing. Yeah. And that's knowing that what tactics cards your opponent's likely to have his attack options, you know, everything. It's just feel for the game and reps. As it should be with a six-threat character, there should be some drawbacks to him. There should be some Absolutely. big decisions you need to make to gain his really powerful effects. You know, another shortcoming of Magneto is all of his hacks are physical. You know, we know physical is the most represented defense in the game, though I will counter my own point here, Chris, and say he's also the only character in the game who can throw 
multiple times and throwing just gets around a lot of innate defensive things. So though his two attacks are physical, his throws just doing dodge saves over and over and over again on characters is just absolutely brutal. They can only take so much. He can dish a lot of damage if he's got a lot of power. It's insane. It turns out he will have a lot of power, especially if you get some good synergy in your team where you have other characters with throws where they can throw and blow up terrain as well. And then you've got a lot of just power going all over the place for your team. It's pretty insane. And, you know, I think his other biggest weakness, Chris, is like we talked about, turn zero. If you don't play him right turn zero, you're in trouble. Like if you don't have an exact point in mind where you want to go on the map with him, you know, and where he's going to be most of the game. You need to be thinking about that turn zero before the game starts during deployment, because similar to Hulk or similar to Thanos, who also have some movement issues, you've got to know where you're going with them right at the start. And that is one of my weakest (laughs) areas as a player. (laughs) So I'm not sure I'll be stepping into the Magneto realm very soon, but hopefully. Closing out our Magneto discussion, Chris, we're going to talk about two Magneto-specific cards. The first one is called Magnetic Crush. It is a special attack that Magneto can only do, similar to Doctor Strange's Seven Sons Asinibus. It is a physical attack called Magnetic Crush. It's range four, strength of six, power cost of zero. Very nice. Magneto may spend five power to play this card. Magneto may use the attack listed above once this activation. When creating the dice pool for this attack, you may destroy any number of interactive terrain features of size three or less and within range two of Magneto. If you do, add dice to the attack roll equal to all the destroyed terrain features sizes combined. Also, before damage is dealt, other enemy characters within range two of the target suffer one damage. That costs five. You can be doing that on turn two. You can. The problem we see in MCP all the time is it's sometimes just so hard to find slots in our tactics cards, you know, as we know. And I really want to try this out. I just want to figure it out. I just love that you can destroy terrain around you, you know, so size cool. three or less. So all those like lampposts and things are really going to add up and maybe make this a 10 dice attack, you know. And then you also ping everyone around the target for one. I love it so much. So thematic of Magneto. Really? It is honest to God. So cool. It's it's more situational card as we know. And, you know, range four is nice, but five power is a lot. So I'm really curious five power is a lot. how much we actually see it. But in casual games at home, we're going to see it a lot. And I just can't wait. I think this next card, we're going to see a little bit more. And this card is a magnetic refraction. It is unaffiliated. It is an active card magneto may pay two power to play this card magneto gains cover this round allied characters gain cover while within range three of magneto this round and if your squad is using the brotherhood of mutants affiliation return this card to your available team tactics cards during the cleanup phase this card may be played again this game the first time we've seen card recursion in mcp and tactics cards I am so happy that this door has been opened. Absolutely. It's so interesting. It's like a mini Brotherhood superpower on a card, you know? Right. And I really don't think you take this outside of Brotherhood, as we said, because it's just a one-time cover for for other games, like when Magneto's, say, on another team. But sure, man, it's so cool in Brotherhood, Chris. I still haven't quite wrapped my head or figured this card out enough because I don't have enough reps with it. But I am interested to basically... Like we said, top of turn one or turn two, give your whole team cover. Oh, yeah. You know, so many interesting options are presented by Magneto. Like you were talking about, he's a six threat character that presents you with choices 
and options and strategies that you just don't find with any other character in this game. And I, I know that yeah. every character brings a unique something to the game, but Magneto legitimately opens up a couple of different play styles that you cannot achieve without him. And I am just, I think he is wonderful for this game. Absolutely, Chris. I think you kind of nailed it there. And I think the gist of what you're saying is just that he has too many things he can do every time he does stuff. And that's up to the player, you know, it's like, do you want to go this sort of cover route where you give your whole team cover, including yourself. And then maybe you camp on an objective. Then you use your mystic defense on all attacks. And guess what? Magneto scoring no matter what, or do you go the more aggro? I'm going to put constructs in your enemy team's lines. I'm going to kind of dive in a little deep with Magneto and then blow them up and do a lot of damage to you. Or I'm going to throw as many things at you as possible and then feed my other brotherhood members power for them to interact with the objectives on the map. The list goes on and on and on. And it's just the way you want to play him. And I think it's really neat. I think he's a powerhouse. I think he's obviously one of the strongest characters in the game as he should be at sixth threat. And I think every time you play him, you're going to have to fight him carefully, very carefully. 100%. I'm just now thinking of how am I going to try to deal with this guy? I'm not sure yet. It's tough. It's tough. I can just tell you I'm going to be playing a lot of them, and I can't wait. Oh, I believe it. So, guys, that's going to kind of close out our Magneto strategy talk today. We have a lot more Brotherhood and Magneto thoughts coming over the coming episodes as we dive more into the Brotherhood. We're going to talk about synergies. We're going to talk about maybe some Brotherhood teams or ideas for Brotherhood. But, you know, right now, we're just basically setting the stage with our Magneto talk and all the following weeks will be about the other Brotherhood members. So stay tuned. Fury's Finest is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Fury's Finest patron by going to patreon.com slash Fury's Finest. Catch our streams of Marvel Christ Protocol at twitch.tv slash Fury's Finest. I know we haven't streamed in a while because COVID is preventing us from doing that, but please do follow our Twitch page. So the first day we go back live, you guys will get the notification. You'll be ready and you can join in the chat. We would love to have you watch. Follow the show on Twitter at Fury's Finest Cast and Instagram and Facebook at Fury's Finest. Email us at furiesfinest at gmail and continue to leave us Apple reviews on Apple podcasts. It really helps us out guys. And you guys have left us some really nice reviews lately. We cannot thank you enough. We're probably going to read these on a future show, Chris, because there's been so many nice and wonderful, warm reviews on there. And I, I see that you guys are posting new ones all the time. And you know, just like the Patreon and just like your kind words online on social media and things like that. These are things that keep Chris and I going and working hard on the show. It is seriously humbling and it is seriously awesome. It makes doing really annoying episodes like Magneto <laughs> totally worth it. Absolutely. Thanks to Approaching Nirvana for our intro and outro music. And please, like Jesse was saying, help spread the word, rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Jesse Aiken. Several of you reached out recently with Marvel and Star Wars questions, and I'm happy to answer those at any time. So just find me at those places. And of course, my Star Wars podcast, The Canon Cantina, all about canon legends and lore and Star Wars. Chris, where can everyone find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Chris Bruffett, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-F-F-E-T-T. Chris, we made it. We made it through another super deep X-Men episode. We did. I was worried about this one, but I think it turned out okay. I think it's turned out good, and I hope you listeners enjoy. So until next time, thanks for listening. True Believers. Excelsior. Excelsior.